0: Next, the invaders in color. Bad wicked world, bad wicked world. They are about just to deceive Through these the of doors that have been sent Bad, wicked world Bad, wicked world Some sell them out, some won't believe An architect named David Vincent A man too long with a sleep He took a wrong turn People just laughed The shit that is not there But he knows that it was Amid made light and the buzz he's really hurt because people don't care People think it's a treat on a Bad with world. Bad with world. him out. believe. i
1: Welcome to episode 8 of First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, the only podcast, to my knowledge, that covers. The DC Comics' 1988 crossover event, Invasion. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass, and together we uh, go through uh, every tie-in, every issue, uh, every every element, component of this crossover. And today, we're talking about a series that I used to enjoy. Yeah, you did. I'm probably <laughs> yeah,
0: you probably did. But uh, I I'm not sure I really liked it. This well, I'm discovering everything for the first time. I, right. I've never read. Uh, invasion i've never read most of these comics uh, i only knew the big guys this was after crisis and you know so i i know nothing of this so today manhunter he's pretty much new to me that's
1: right manhunter number eight which is concurrent with flash number 21 yeah uh which was uh, episode six if you prefer so if you haven't listened to episode six this covers much of the same ground. It's, it's basically the reverse angle on everything. Right. It's, we knew Manhunter was in the background of that issue. And here, uh, we're seeing things from his perspective. Exactly. Not always in the most coherent way. I mean, I don't think these two issues were in sync all that much. Not that much. Yeah. I, the editors had to collaborate, but I think either through the, because of the art, but also because of yeah. the story, there are a lot of little differences that yeah. make it, so there are some strange inconsistencies, and we'll talk about that. If you don't know who Manhunter is, or this Manhunter, because Manhunter is like a legacy hero, really, uh, almost accidentally, okay. because in the 40s, there were two superheroes called Manhunter at different companies that are now part of DC. So they could have the same name, they had the same names, but were not related. So okay. there was one Manhunter who was a, really a cop in real life, and he had a dog called Thor. And they fought crime together. And then there was the a Manhunter that looked a lot like the Manhunter's precursors to the Green Lantern Corps. Uh, is one of these from the Manhunters who were like the
0: precursors from... Not really. The or Halo? he is.
1: But... See, it's complicated. It's, it's one, complicated. It's one of those things. So there were a couple of uh, 40s heroes who were okay. just... You know, uh, mystery men who were called Manhunter. Okay, you know, just well, like a the, catchy name, the you Manhunter didn't... from Mars. The, yeah, also, yeah. not part of this. <laughs> I think Manhunter was like popular yeah. in there, yeah. and it's an easy word to, to make work. Yeah. So these these guys existed in the forties, in the sixties, or whenever the uh, the Manhunter robots were created to be precursors and nemeses to the Green Lantern Corps. Okay. So these Manhunters already exist. They have no relationship to one another. The year before Invasion, the big crossover event was Millennium. And yeah. in Millennium, the Manhunter robots and their agents, they're like a, they're revealed to be really a cult. Okay. That spans different planets and are very much on Earth. They get access to the history of the DC universe. And so they have access to the future kind of thing. So they infiltrate the lives of different superheroes through, by brainwashing or recruiting or replacing with robots people from their supporting casts. Okay, so... So in Millennium, each crossover tie-in was about basically such and such a person. <gasps> Shocking reveal is a Manhunter and working... Okay, so it, it's against it was, the hero. It was DC's uh, Skrull invasion. Uh, or really Marvel's <laughs> secret invasion. The secret invasion? Yeah, yeah, yeah was basically Millennium. Ah, oh, okay. Uh, and Millennium sucked. I mean, those tie-ins were interesting. You're not the first person who said this. Yes, Millennium it was not well-received. The series itself was not very good. Well, it's one of those uh, everybody's a clone type thing or everybody, you know... I think the tie-ins worked because there were some shocks. They really did different things with them. Uh, it wasn't always uh, my best friend or my uh, love interest is a Manhunter... Some Manhunters, there was the whole thing with um, Wally West's dad was, yeah, really Wally was is, a Manhunter. Yeah. We talked about this before. So the Manhunters tried to do harm, tried to stop us from evolving and becoming a chaotic element in the universe or whatever. But some people were on the right side, you know, like right-thinking Manhunter agents okay. uh, who were possibly deceived by the cult. And so on. They did different things with them in the comics themselves, which weren't bad. But the series itself, like the main plot of the thing and how it ended, was... Ill-received. Well, yes. Ill-received and uh, not very good. But but so, the, attempt,
0: so, the attempt was nice, though. Like, uh, the, what they were thinking and trying it,
1: to do... It could have worked. Okay. Manhunter, this series... Uh, this Manhunter is called Mark Shaw. He is the... Technically the third... Manhunter, and he was in the cult. Although he had many different identities before this, uh, usually as Justice League opponents, uh, some with terrible names like uh, the Star Tsar. Uh, he, he was <laughs> the, the private. He was the privateer. He was. Anyway, at this point, so he's decided he's going to make amends for what the Manhunters have wrought, and he so he takes on the a Manhunter identity. Uh, he's a bounty hunter slash, you know, he's, he's like, he's not exactly on the right side of the law, but he's not on the, you know, he's sort of an anti-hero, man for hire, and yet really wants to wash away the sins of the manhunter. So basically
0: his road is redemption and he Mm -hmm. wants, he, he tries to get redemption. So he's one of those characters
1: at, at this point who was, like with the Suicide Squad and Checkmate, you know, in the shadows of the DC universe. And written by the same guy, uh, the same team, Estrander and Yale, who we were a couple, also wrote Suicide Squad at this point. Uh, he's sort of spun out of Suicide Squad and Millennium. So he's using Manhunter technology, the baton, the mask, uh, like the robotic mask or lion yeah, mask. Yeah. But he's also got a very Japanese influence uh, to his costume. Yeah, and, it's you know. very,
0: it's very, uh, I, I, I don't know. It's it's really Japanese. It's really uh, Shogun.
1: And, and yeah, they, they don't hide this. He's, he's got mm-hmm. an interest in that culture. Shall we talk about the cover? <laughs> we can. Manhunter number eight is a
0: mirror of the Flash cover. Exactly. You can put them side by side and it's basically the same thing.
1: Same thing where uh, different uh, Swamp Things are attacking the hero. <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be Durland's. Shape shifting out of the trees, but they really do look like yeah, they really the parliament here.
0: Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, especially this one. Yeah,
1: he even really- more so than on the flash cover. Yeah, I don't know if they're trying to hide the Durlins. You we're, know, like we're still we know the first- we we're in invasion. We know the Durlins are part of it.
0: We're still in the first wave, though. We haven't read Invasion 2 yet. So this is still first wave. This is still... We, we sure. Could, you could grab Manhunter and say, Oh, well, I'm going to I'm gonna
1: check out The Flash right. when it came out. Yeah, it's not too late yeah. to get into like Invasion Number 1. But still, why not just show Durlins on the cover? Exactly. Or make it clear that they're Durlins. Because the Durlins never take on these kinds of shapes in the never. stories. They're never trees. Never. They're always animals yeah, or snakes. other people. <laughs> Snakes and birds. But this is a better, this is a nice cover. It's a nicer it's cover nice, than the Flash yeah. one, I think. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, um, the, this artist, Rice, is not the one who's doing the interiors anymore. He only did like the first four issues, gave the, the book a really sharp, that Japanese influence without being manga look. Okay. So the Manhunter looks very nice under his pen, but then he soon quit the book. I don't know if he could. Maybe not manage a monthly schedule or whatever, but the arts quickly became a lot more ordinary after that. And I think, uh, was greatly responsible for killing the, the book. Well, it, it's possible also. That I might
0: have theories
1: because it, it looks like, um, <laughs> Manhunter looked like it was like a four issue miniseries mm-hmm. that they decided, no, let's, let's keep it going. Okay. So, so, so he yeah. did this four issue run and then, you know, they found other artists, uh, which were fine, just not great. And yeah, it, yeah, it didn't have that same designy feel to it. Because yeah, the
0: the interior is uh like the, the comic book is very just normal comic book superhero yeah. there's, comic. There's
1: book. nothing fancy about it. No, um, we're gonna do a synopsis of the story. Yeah, we're gonna talk about it, and then eventually uh, we'll talk about our feelings about Manhunter, if if any. Because oh, You're I just have feelings. <laughs> I have feelings. Okay. Well, uh let's head into this. It's Flashpoint Part One, which is a title that gives me shivers. I I was <laughs> going to say that you, you. This one is Flashpoint. Point. There's it's not Flashpoint. There's a space. Flashpoint yeah. Part One uh, by writers John Estrander and Kim Yale, penciler Frank Springer, inker Pablo Marcos, letterer Albert de Guzman, colorist Juliana Ferreter, and editor Barbara Kessel. Mark Shaw, Manhunter, is called to Mary West's posh home where she asks him to keep an eye on her son while he wests the Flash. Mark sees himself as a bounty hunter primarily, but she shames him into accepting the job, given that she was a victim of the manhunters, and he's trying to make amends for what his old cult did. He plans to ask Wally to get his mom off his back, but gets to the airport too late. Flash and Chunk are already taking off. He hitches a ride on the plane's fuselage, and upon reaching Cuba, falls off during the bombardment of the plane by Cubans under Durlin control. He wakes up in the jungle hours later, and from there, intersects with the Flash's adventure from Flash 21, uh, episode 6, in various ways. For example, he's the one who magnetizes the guns away from Fidel Castro's platoon, so they don't shoot Wally. He next fights a Durland shapeshifted as a snake, and passes out in its grip. Uh, when he comes to, all tied up, he tries to convince the Durlands the Manhunters are still active, and new allies of the invasion force, but since everyone hates the Manhunters, even the invaders... They don't believe him, or they just don't care. So he escapes and reaches Castro's camp, just as that sexy Lady Durlin enters Wally's tent. Another Durlin jumps him while Wally and his girl are having sex, and he fights him off, and gets to the tent, just in time to prevent Wally's assassination. Before the two heroes can meet, though, the other Durlin grabs him from behind, and, as a big bird, flies him up into the sky. The ensuing struggle gets the Durlan killed, and Manhunter survives a great fall. The Durland seductress runs off and returns to her people, while Manhunter spends the next few hours knocking out Durland's until he's too tired to stand. That's when Miss Sexy Durland catches up with him. They have a standoff where she understands he'll never stop coming, so she walks away, vowing they'll just change their plans rather than have another pointless fight. He passes out again. Hours later, he wakes up to find Castro has declared victory over the invaders, and Wally and Chunk, back on a plane... Leaving him stranded. That's a very nice synopsis. Why? We're done. (laughs) Let's let's talk about this story. First of all, we've seen... There are many intersections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We saw that uh, Flash uh, was saved by the magnetic... Whatever, the the guns rose in the air. Yeah. It was a big mystery. That was Manhunter. That was Manhunter. Uh, His mom, Wally's mom, saying, uh, I've got a friend. I called someone. Exactly. I called in a favor, Manhunter related. This was the favor. This was Mark. This was, well, the favor. She's paying for it, but she's, well, (laughs) she's, she's not really paying for it. She's broke. (laughs) Yeah. She, she says,
0: well, I'm going to pay you when you come back there, Manhunter boy. And, and she has no money. (laughs) So she's basically, she, she just hustled them pretty much. That's, she's that's she's a cold mom. woman. She's a cold, cold that's Wally's woman. Wally's mom. <laughs> I'm kind of glad they, she's dead in the show, in the TV show. I'm kind of, no. <laughs> she's not the same lady. No, that's, that's,
1: that's not Wally's mom.
0: It's <laughs> Barry's mom. Ah, oh, yeah, that's Barry's mom. Oh, yeah. I see how I get them mixed up. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah. yeah. The,
1: she, Wally's mom, she's hard. Oh. And then there's the, there's the bit where they discover the base, Yeah. Uh, Wally and Chunk find the Durlin base, and we see that there's a derlin about to tag them but something comes into his crosshairs yeah and it's manhunter and manhunter beats him up uh so there there's another intersection there obviously manhunter saves um wally from uh, assassination that was pretty clear that was manhunter in yeah, the, in the yeah. book
0: that was pretty clear because we saw like a shadowy with with the the scarf he has a scarf manhunter has a scarf yes uh, well, it, it gets cold in yeah, the gets, Cuban jungle. Yeah, in that <laughs> leather heavy leather armor.
1: I'm sure this is like a cool. I'm sure it is. It's a that's, cool suit. It's That's like why Man he's Hunter passing
0: day. out every 5 seconds and it's <laughs> Well, there's a lot of action in here. I mean, Manhunter does not stop. He's he's all over the place. I mean, uh, I I don't really get I don't know if it's in late 80s type thing, but I don't get how the baton really works. A baton basically is just a... It, translated directly as stick in french mm-hmm. so uh so you have a baton we, we have a stick
1: uh, well it's, this- it's a lot like uh the billy club the daredevil's billy club well it it's does- a stick you can beat people up with it but it can also ex- this one can extend so it becomes like a bow staff uh it can it's got tech in it so that it uses well, magnetics
0: yeah it, it's it's magnetic it's uh it has some kind of weird lasery bounce off the Earth type thing where when he I think falls, that's that's the magnetic. thing. Is it still the magnetic? I think that's th- magnetic oh, th- because well.
1: I, I think that's the same effect. Well,
0: it's it's yeah okay. It has a rope thingy in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean this magic baton is incredibly useful. It's like a Swiss Army baton, but it's it just loses energy like a mother. I mean it's well
1: well well what. <laughs>
0: He jumps many, on the plane. How, how many big batteries you got to put in there? It's probably from space or something. It, it reloads. Off what? I don't even understand how, how this...
1: magnetic field.
0: Oh my god.
1: Well, I, I'm just,
0: you know... Get a magnet or something, but this is, at the same time, the best weapon and the worst weapon ever.
1: I guess you're right. I mean, it can do many things and so it's got a weakness, but the weakness isn't too well explained. Well, the weakness so is it, basically... It basically works when the plot needs it to work. Exactly. It's basically, it's basically our man
0: in a, in a stick. The thing works for a while and then our man it, it, now in stick form. <laughs> That's, well, it works like for now. P- the pills are still available <laughs> and it doesn't work anymore for no reason except that, ah, well, time is, you know, flexible in comic books. So we don't really know how much time went by and, and, and all of a sudden no more energy in this thing and I'm sleeping for six hours and then, oh, the pacing is is weird in this book. Because he, he keeps passing out. He keeps passing out. So uh, that's so why... So we, we keep passing out.
1: It's Well, it's not a complete story. That's what I have against it. Like, the Flash story is a complete yeah. adventure. You've got mysteries. Who's helping me from, from outside? We don't know. But it's still a complete story with a mystery in it. In Manhunter's case, we kind of need to have read the Flash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because he's just intersecting with the Flash at random points. And when he can't intersect with the Flash, they don't really find anything for him to do except sleep. I can believe he'd be passing out all the time. He rode wow. to Cuba on a, on a plane. Yeah. On the outside of a plane. The plane gets bombed out of the sky. He falls and survives. He's wounded and winded. All the way through. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm
0: just going to say this: if we replace Manhunter with, with like, uh, I don't know, Nightwing, people would be saying, "Oh man, Nightwing's such a pussy," because you know he's passing out all the time. And and but this guy, he has like magic baton, super cool mask, heavy armor, and he's passing out all over the place. I don't know. He's a superhero. He's not supposed to pass out all over the place. First one to pass out buys the
1: beer tonight. Get off.
0: To be fair, he's, he's fighting a lot. There's a lot of action in here. I mean, he's, uh, at one point, he's even being like a bowling ball as he hits Durlins. <laughs> he's, he's, doing everything. Yeah, that whole sequence everything.
1: where he's bumping off Ber- Durlins. It's, 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 there's lots That's of a, stuff. it's a fun, it's a fun sequence where yeah, he's yeah. like throwing rocks in their faces and yeah, yeah. he's beating them up in different ways. You can see how he's like, a, a great fighter. He's a badass oh, in, yeah. in those pages. Uh, similarly, when he falls, uh, to his death the second time. <laughs> the second time he falls to his death, uh, where he uses the magnetic yeah, pulse yeah. to slow himself down, then uses the rope to, to swing. Uh, that whole, I mean, he's alone in the sky and somehow survives and they make it look acrobatic and interesting. Yeah. I mean, he has, he has skills. Definitely. He has skills. I don't know if, If he's
0: the best bounty hunter of all time, he calls himself a bounty hunter. But, I mean, can somebody call Dog and get this guy a, I don't know, maybe a bounty hunter course? Because he's not very good at bounty hunting.
1: Well, I don't know. He tracks the Flash to Cuba while he jumps on his plane. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's some good bounty hunting. Uh, He he didn't have any time to prepare. Even, you know, he has to throw his clothes away when he gets to the airport. I know. He just strips down. Maybe he should have just jumped the plane in his... Civilian clothes. Yeah. And he's wearing the suit underneath. I don't maybe I don't really, save the money. I
0: don't really get how uh I don't really get how his secret identity if he if he keeps it secret or does he have uh nobody really. knows nobody knows him so Right. He doesn't cares. really Manhunter is not a public hero. But I mean he's it's just daylight and he runs in <laughs> through security and just jumps on a plane and, you know... It was a simpler time. Somebody just said, hey, what are you... Ah, forget it. You know, <laughs> he just jumps on a plane yeah. with a magic stick.
1: And I think one of the, the strengths of Manhunter is its writing team, really. A strander in Yale, know how to write characters, know how to write uh, badass moments, know how to write dialogue. And you get some mostly interesting uh, dialogue throughout this issue, even yeah, though... yeah. It's, yeah. The story is piecemeal. The plot is made to just plug into another so, story. I think
0: that's the real problem of this. Uh,
1: and doesn't this plug issue. very well uh, either. We uh, I'll list some inconsistencies in a minute. But the dialogue, for example, when we get to um, the standoff. Yeah. It's a, kind of a strange... It's a strange
0: standoff. Piece of I, the story. I, I kind of like the way that this Dirlin just stays as
1: a lady. She's recolored her skin orange, but yeah. she doesn't go for the bald antenna look. Well, maybe she still engine. has her hair. Yeah. So it makes me believe that, you know, we've been talking about Durlins a lot and why aren't they Chameleon Boy strength? Why aren't they more powerful and more uh, variable in their forms? And the working theory we had was that these aren't hero Durlins. They're not as good as Chameleon Boy will be. But that they have forms that they've practiced. Yeah. So she runs away as a snake. She's got a snake form down. And she's got a human woman form down. Yeah. So here she's like in between. She's still being human, but, you know.
0: Yeah. And and it seems, and I think our theory is pretty solid because it kind of feels like this is like an infiltration type agent. Where, you know, snakes, they can just climb up walls and, and, you know, go through pipes. And, you know, you can be in and out of somewhere easily. Uh, The female form is always better. You can use that sexual appeal thing to get into places. And, you know, big guys like me, I can't be somebody's date for a ball or something. So, yeah, so the female form really is good for this type of infiltration and probably assassination type thing and that's what she was supposed to do right she was supposed to kill the flash
1: and so in this standoff there are a couple of cool lines that i like she says she's got to get a message that's her mission right now getting a message back to her people she says a dead manhunter can't interfere and he answers a dead derlin can't carry messages so you've got that (laughs) sort of hear the the bravado in there and then she says you oppose me past reason past heroism your will declares me enemy no reason other than this and he says i don't need any other and then they just have this stare off just it's just a stare off panels, silent panels of them staring at each other and he's got a perfect poker face because that mask is doesn't really move it opens for his mouth but (laughs) it doesn't have expressions obviously she can control her expressions it's it's also a mask. She's also wearing a mask. Yeah. Yeah. In a sense. So the standoff is only about willpower. It's only about, I will not stop. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do to convince me. And, uh, the Durlins have the same. I mean, the invasion's not going to stop just because we're, we're, we're doing this little standoff here. Nothing's going to change out of this. So they go their separate ways. But at the same time, he's a force that will not stop coming. She's a Durlin. And so adaptable and variable. So she their mission, their plan will just morph, yeah, just like they do. So with Astrander, you you always get the he's very good at uh spy stuff, black ops, that kind of that kind of stuff he showed in uh Suicide Squad and in Manhunter for sure. But he's he's also got a good handle on characters and what what the, the superhero tropes actually inform the personalities of the characters. He's one of my favorite writers from that era. Well, easily. this,
0: this is probably my favorite part of the book. Cause exactly. We have this, uh, this is just like a two page dialogue. It's not really long, but it says a lot about everybody in there. And that's where we really get the chunk from. We, we get to know the Durlins better here than we did since the beginning. We, we know they're part of the invasion. Team or uh, the, the Invasion Alliance, uh, but what their role is and how they work and how flexible they are, uh, we didn't really know. No. And now... They've just... been
1: focusing. Other species are, are funnier. <laughs> well, <laughs> so yeah. for Keith Giffen, uh, who is running the, that show, you know, it's easier to make you know, the Kuns and Nokarns trash talk each other, that, that kind of thing. The Dirtlands have mostly been in the background, yeah. just looking
0: creepy which is which is fine and with this dialogue it, actually it's uh it it solidifies what the girlins are doing and and what their role is inside of this invasion and surely they're 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 all thinking
1: how do we then beat the rest of
0: the invaders <laughs> <laughs> well it kind of explains why cuz we were we were wondering uh, back in the flash why is, you know, why are the Durlins just, you know, like, losing to ordinary people? And it's because, you know what? The plans are changing. They're not going to fight them. They have another plan that's going to, you know, so they, they'd they rather just go away and disappear.
1: That's interesting because that means Castro is declaring victory and the Flash thinks they, they're victorious. But really, the Durlins have given up.
0: Yeah, yeah. They just went away to, to hatch another plan, which will probably be better.
1: Yeah, which we'll probably see in... Uh, the follow-ups, Flash and Manhunter, keep crossing over in their next chapter. Uh, so we'll be seeing that. Um, And and right after that awesome dialogue. Yep. He passes out. He passes out. (laughs) For hours. For hours. He wakes up and it's like, my internal chronometer says, uh, (laughs) he's super, he's super trained. He's a ninja, but a
0: ninja who, who just walks in this at the end of the book. This is, this is where I said, I'm never gonna, he just walks into Castro's, you know castro's little get together with everybody with guns and he just walks in
1: nobody Most, notices nobody
0: notices maybe he's that good a ninja i don't know and <laughs> and just walks up to mr west says, hey you know where wally is and mr west like yeah i don't know he just went out and he's going away
1: well this is one of the inconsistencies and i blame the art for much of this because the setup makes it kind of impossible for that people aren't reacting to Manhunter's presence. And they're not. That's that's an art thing. That's probably an art thing. But, and with crossovers, you often get the sense some of these issues are rushed. Okay, wait, we've got to interrupt ongoing storylines and then fit in this chapter of the story. And then we've got to. Crossover with another book, and then you're talking to the writer of the other book, and they're making changes, and then you didn't make the change, yeah. and then so a lot of this stuff is yeah, good enough becomes good. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. can be a bit rough. So there, the inconsistencies always bother me because I'm a nitpicker. Uh, uh, hard, that but, you are. Yeah, but like here are some inconsistencies between this and the Flash issue. Like, how long was the fight with the bird, with the bird Durlin, that Wally had time to sex up and pass out from the sex? <laughs> I well, know he's quick. I, yeah, we, well, that, yeah. Yeah.
0: And maybe he's quicker than we think. I because mean, that
1: fight doesn't seem to last. Like, the woman walks into the tent. Manhunter gets jumped. He yeah. He fights off the bird walks into the tent while he's yeah. already snoozing. Well, that's it's what, already done.
0: It's one of that it's one of those pacing things where we don't really understand the time, how much time goes by between panels in this in this book. It kind of gets frustrating because you don't know how much time goes by. It all seems like one afternoon, but it's not one afternoon. It's, no. you know, Wally while he, Wally
1: while he was there a couple of days at least. Yeah. And the the moment just following that sequence I mean it's small things, just art stuff, I'm sure. Uh you know, he in this issue he throws the baton at her head to yeah. save Wally. And then somehow has to the dialogue has to say, Oh, g- good thing I grabbed my b- baton again before getting grabbed by yeah. the bird. Because in the art you don't see the baton. We it's don't. been thrown. It should be in the tent. It's it's an art problem that the dialogue or the, the thought bubble had yeah. to cover. In the flash issue, uh, he just knocks her over the head. There's yeah. no throwing.
0: And there's this, like, uh, th- that. that's where we get to see that
1: shadow thing, just, you know, knocking the lady out. Right. She runs and turns into a snake, all that. There's no one at camp yeah, to she- see this. In the flash issue, everyone sees her. They try to stop the snake. Yeah. Uh, it, this is a, the whole sequence.
0: But then she comes back to Durland camp, and everybody's in their underwear, in their underoos, including her. It's uh, Calvin Klein, uh, <laughs> Chameleon Boy time.
1: Oh it's, man, it's
0: beautiful. Yep,
1: they're all they're all in
0: shape. There's no there is Whoa. no fat Durlin. You know. why
1: wouldn't you be a, a perfect Adonis? Because <laughs> you, big. Your, is your example is the. Uh, there's mm. the metal plate on probes? derlin base. No I mean, don't. there's the whole sequence where he's knocking out people, but he doesn't visit the base. We, we don't, don't see yeah, the we base. Don't it's see like it the all. base doesn't exist. That's a weird inconsistency for me. Castro in the jungle giving a speech at the end. Yeah, uh, that was
0: weird. He's not in. He's not, not, in, not in Havana yeah. like he
1: was in the. the it's yeah. basically a press conference that, with the wrong background. Yeah, um, that's why it's weird. The very end bugs me. I mean. Uh, that's Flash is off model. He's, he's a lot, um, he's gained some weight since, yeah, uh, yeah. he's not wearing the same clothes.
0: I'm thinking it's a fat girl.
1: That's all art, uh, problems. But, uh, also, he says, uh, Flash and Chunk are, took a plane back to the States or whatever, you know, so Manhunter stranded at the end of the other issue. And we thought it was kind of weird. So the problem, it may be with the Flash issue, I suppose. But we see Flash run off into this, the ocean, mm-hmm. like walking on water, running on water and then we were asking what about Chunk? did he just strand chunk in cuba well i guess he was just crossing a bay towards an airport <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but those moments don't really do on one side yeah again not a complete story just plugins. this like this issue is very much in service of the flash issue just to make the flash issue work but i think astrander and yale find ways to still keep manhunter interesting as a action hero yeah yeah uh, you know, it's it's like movie dialogue kind of stuff. So there there is that does its best, but definitely an inferior tie in issue.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, and and it's totally in service to the Flash issue. Which if you didn't read the Flash issue, you probably don't know heads or tails about this. What what's going on? We don't even see the Flash actually. We see like a bit piece of Wally, or we see a redhead guy with uh,
1: yeah
0: who had sex.
1: Yeah, we see them very, very sparely and never in costume. You know, Manhunter does pretty well. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's fine. It's kind of, a... Uh, I I wish it were more like, um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead or something. Be more clever with the way it intersects. Maybe it and, was yeah. rushed. Any other thoughts on the, uh, on the issue itself?
0: Uh, you know what? It was full of action, which is fun. It really feels like what's going on right now in comics and, and on TV and everything really was influenced by This era of comic books, definitely, it's incredible how much it feels familiar. I've never read this. Has Manhunter
1: shown up in the TV shows? uh, Is he going to be on Arrow or something?
0: I think he will. I'm not really sure, but you just feel the same type of I don't. There's this no this familiar feeling with these comic books and like everything that's going on on
1: TV, and that's kind of cool. I think it makes sense because the TV is set up to to be. Uh, a mix of not too much action because that costs money, mm-hmm. but action and uh you know plenty of subplots and classic comics, which were at their I think at their height and best configuration in the eighties, were very much that where mm-hmm. the balance between uh, soap opera and action was pretty well struck, and I think a lot of people working on television shows today probably read this era. Probably, because oh, it, it,
0: you can feel it. You can feel it going from these comic books to the TV right now. And it's and it's kind of cool. It's kind of fun to go back and read these things and discover them for the first time and, and have that same familiar tone to it that you, you find on the TV shows. So uh, even though I didn't really like this Manhunter issue, I would probably try another. If you say you like it, I don't know. Uh, but I, I didn't get that. You know, when I finished reading the JLI issue, I was like, oh, I need to read more of these. Uh, this is not, not the case. Not here. Okay. This is not the case. Well, we'll
1: talk a bit more about um, Manhunter and what it means to me, I guess, since after a small break. And we'll also open the, uh, our letters from the front. So, stick around. Ooh, ooh, ooh. recently overheard on the Who's Who podcast, being said by the irredeemable Shag.
0: ...for me, because, you know, she's a crazy, hot, raging woman, and now I can't not see that, but
1: if you want more on her, check out the From Crisis to Crisis podcast, and also someone, for the love of God, started a Will Payton blog, please, um, just saying. All right, all right, Shag, you don't have to beg. Well, huh, that could be nice. Anyways, here you go, Shag, just for you, monthly, the Star Man Adventure Out. Wait a minute, Uh, I like Starman and all, but I don't know if I can talk for an entire hour about Will Payton. Huh, I know, I'll include another great 80's character I love, Mark Shaw Manhunter. The Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, available monthly on iTunes and at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com Also part of the Headcast Network, come join the fun. Okay, so Manhunter. Yeah, you, you like Manhunter. Well, I like Manhunter because I like this era of comics, yeah. and uh, he was a part of it, and written by a writer I appreciated, and sometimes crossed over with uh, Suicide Squad. It was not a series that really took off. It started well, and then a lot of different artists had worked on it, so the Mark Shaw Manhunter was a bust. I mean, I liked it. I don't think I would reread it necessarily. Mark Shaw wasn't the only manhunter. Well, there was like the original ones. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then later, uh, then they had another one, which I didn't read, which was like super nineties kind of stuff. Pockets and pouches everywhere. Oh, yeah. Trench coat. Uh, Did he have a, uh, a trench coat? It wasn't a trench coat. It was worse than that. Like spikes and hoods. And, oh, perfect. Right. Hoods with spikes, cross hatching, you know, that kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But the legacy kept coming, so okay. the best Manhunter, now for my money, is Kate Spencer. This series, it was like in the 2000s, uh, and it was kind of that book, that little book that could, where it would never did very well, and then it was frequently, not cancelled, but put on hiatus, and then a year later, or so a few months later, they would put out another story arc. It was a lot more like what I think comics, like a Euro uh, kind of uh, feel to it where every so often a new story comes out yeah. and fans of the book can't wait for that story to come out which i think is like a better model than well it's it's monthlies
0: but it's it, that that model is like uh making movies instead of tv right, right. it's it's less uh, per episode and it's right. more like it's more a, like
1: uh, let's let's do a trade and then yeah. r- whether we strip it into different chapters or not we're making trades and uh i own that manhunter series in trade kate spencer was a real person in <laughs> very much she was, she's a lawyer she basically poached all her equipment from the evidence room <laughs> so she's like oh, okay. a, she's got a dark star suit and she's got this baton, the Manhunter baton, and she calls herself Manhunter. But she's, she's a smoker, she's a woman of a certain age, a single mom, out of shape, trying to deal with the superhero world, or when it, when it doesn't work out as a DA, she goes after the, the okay. person, you know.
0: So, so so her her weakness is real world instead of just passing out all the time. <laughs>
1: well, she might pass out, you know,
0: but for real though, yeah. She's, she's but yeah. she's
1: got a certain. I mean, uh, she's got a relationship to some Golden Age heroes. Uh, she, she's friends with some Infinity Inc. characters. Okay. She, so she's very much like a real person in the DC universe of the late 2000s. She got scrapped with uh, the Flush Point, but still, it, there's th- that character was real. Lived real adventures. They were a lot more uh, edgy, very much the kind of comics I like. Mark Andrako was the uh, was the writer on that. Different artists, but if you're going to read some Manhunter stories, I think that Manhunter and Mark Shaw does show up. The other Manhunters do show up. The legacy is addressed. It's this, this whole dynastic Manhunter okay. thing is addressed. So it's got a lot of connections to the DCU, which. I don't know. I don't know if for people who are coming in cold and don't know the whole history of the DC universe that might be off putting. I, I I never really know because I like these kinds of books where there's connections to the DC universe all over, which mm. is why I resented the reboot, well, 3 years ago because, you know, I was so invested in that larger universe and these books that made that worked within that whole universe. But that's the Manhunter book that's like critically acclaimed Uh, Still interesting and definitely underrated. I would probably check that one out.
0: I'm not sure about Mark Shaw. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the, it it seems just very action. Yeah. You know, and it, and if I'm going to read some action, I'm going to read some Nightwing. Because yeah. I, like, I like, I think it. I'd
1: recommend uh, for people who might, you know, you can find this in quarter bins or dollar bins or whatever. However high the bins
0: have gotten, but um, <laughs> Two for one bin,
1: yeah, the uh, the, the twenty five dollar bins. The I don't know when you're listening to this inflation. <laughs> you know, maybe you're Brits. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry, too soon. You can probably find Manhunter issues oh, yeah. pretty easily. And I'd say the, uh, the four, the first four issues, that first arc that was meant to be sort of a mini series with the Doug Rice art, that would be.
0: I'd like to see that art because yeah. I love, you know, these,
1: and that's kind of the
0: cool part about Manhunter. I really dug these, uh, I mean, he could have a katana and, you know, a headband and he'd be somebody else, you know. It, it, it looks cool. I'd like to see him more in a,
1: I think there was very much the case that, that that Japanese influence on his costume and yeah. the look look really cool when drawn by its designer. It's a lot of like the George Perez thing where George Perez created a lot of characters in like Teen Titans, for example, yeah. or Crisis. And those costumes look terrible drawn by anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So like, when it's you true. look at the costume, it's terrible, but Perez makes it work. So like yeah. here, Rice made it work. But everybody else that drew it, meh. it's not bad. It's <laughs> not in here, it's not bad, but uh, you know, it's it, yeah. it doesn't always look as cool as the person who designed it. So uh, be careful, artists, when when you're drawing, <laughs> when you're designing a costume that everybody can draw it. You know, go classic, Domino mask. You hear me, Jim Lee? <laughs> he doesn't hear you. No, that's. There, there's one thing Jim Lee doesn't hear. it's uh, comic book fans. OK. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing because it's sad and true. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Letters from the front Letters from the front Here's an angry email from uh, Jim Lee. No,. no not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, if we did have that, I would be I would
0: be laughing all the way. Oh, that would be fun.
1: Uh, I'm going to pick and choose uh because the some of the comments We have are, a lot. Wow. Thank you yeah, very much. Yeah, and for, uh... I'm going to really skip over. I mean, we were still getting comments from for episode 6, uh the flash one, yeah. but I urge you to go uh, read them at fireandwaterpodcast.com, which is where the um the podcast is hosted. Uh there's a lot of nice discussion, but at this point it's people responding to responding to other people yeah, and having yeah. a conversation about the flash about uh, Mark Wade, for example, because we, th- these are the topics we covered uh, at that point. But really, I want to focus mostly on uh, comments for episode seven, JLI number twenty-two, with Oberon fighting tiny Kunz, and yeah. the the crossover with Wonder Woman, uh, where the uh, the other the rest of the league fights an alien armada. Just quick hey. question.
0: Yep. Uh, do I am I going to get lynched for the whiny Wally
1: comments? Y- there's, there's not. I mean, some people don't like it.
0: Yeah. That, okay.
1: But no. Okay. No. I'm fine with that. Yeah. And I'm, we're not. Well, I mean, we're not going to go back there. Anyways. No. 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 iTunes. We did have a couple of iTunes comments. Oh, cool. New iTunes comments from Darren and Ruth Sutherland. Who we'll call it "strike first, laugh later." They call our <laughs> coverage thorough, but still accessible, and that it manages to be funny too. Oh
0: well, thank you. Yes, thanks. We don't try to be funny. We just uh, we—it's oh, just we we're it's born just, funny.
1: It's just what we were born in a funny way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, true, probably. Yeah. Uh, also, Piper Ruth says a perk of losing your mind from getting old is that you can read a comic that's twenty plus years old and and it feels like it's the first time because you've forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, later he says, but maybe I'll uh, have to fashion a tinfoil hat to wear while I listen. Yeah, I don't think these are these that kind of aliens.
0: No, no, not no, no, they we're getting invaded by big baddies, not not like not telepaths. Not not telepaths.
1: Not telepaths? No, I don't think so.
0: No, I don't think so. Uh maybe the underwater ones? No, they're not. No, they're no. They're so... Just, they're just lame.
1: So I guess we're safe from uh, alien telepaths. Yeah. That's a mercy. Um, let's look at, uh, wh- where else? Where else can you leave comments? Well, on uh, Facebook, for example. Nicholas Brom says, This show has inspired me to make plans to cover Crisis, Legends, and Millennium, including all tie-ins. Eventually. Wink. Sorry to break it to you, Nick, but somebody's already doing Legends. It's, yeah. You use... Look out. It's coming. Uh, I know I'll be participating, but, um... That'll be hosted by someone else. Someone with Superman connections. He knows who he is. Uh, Michel Fief says, Great episode as usual, Ciscoid. Screw you, Bess, I guess. Uh, <laughs> actually, somebody said, And that other guy's... There's, there's one comment where it says, And other guy whose name I'm blanking on. It's fine. I'm yeah. that guy. Oh, well. Uh, he says, Great episode. I meant to ask before about the reading order you and Bess are using. Is it based on release date, story structure, personal taste, or a little of each? So... Let's remind folks how we're doing this. I guess it's publishing date. Yeah. But it's as described at the, uh, on the back page of Invasion number one. Exactly. So Invasion number, number one lists all the tie-ins and then goes bang, 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 bang. That's why we didn't do Manhunter immediately after Flash. Mm-hmm. Although that would have made a lot of sense. Just as we, we were not doing JLI and then immediately Wonder Woman. That's, that's next fine. show. Yeah. yeah. It's just because that's the way they're listed and we did not, like read the whole thing and then make sure the pieces were all in the right order. No, we're going to leave that to
0: you guys cuz each individual uh episode is available all the time.
1: So you could listen to them in a different order. Exactly. Uh if that's what you wanted to do. On the blog, again, fireandwaterpodcast.com or go check it out. It's also at ca. just if you can't find one, you can find the other. A lot of good stuff on there. David Ace Gutierrez said uh, of the JLI issue that it was one of his all-time favorite Oberon stories. It is. It is great. How many good Oberon stories are there, though? One, and that's the one you <laughs> called it. Mm. Chris Franklin uh, from Supermates said, Great episode. I remember really enjoying this issue, but being slightly disturbed by the JLI heroes actually killing the bad guys. Hey, this was still the late 80s and Grim and Gritty hadn't settled in yet. In fact, JLI was the antibody to that movement. Later he says, Ciscoid, I loved your capsule history of Justice League Detroit. My nine-year-old self was honked off at Aquaman for years for disbanding the real JLA. (laughs) Ah well. Jeff Nettleton says, One reason why Giffen and Demetrius were given such a free hand is that they had great track records. Giffen was part of the team with Paul Levitz that turned Legion of Superheroes from a cult favorite to a big hit. Given his writing partner was an executive at the company, I'm sure he had some clout. DeMatteis had a good name from his Marvel tenure, especially on things like Defenders, plus his Greenberg the Vampire was a big critical favorite. Never heard of it. To top it off, JLA had a pretty weak track record for several years by that point. The pair had ideas and nothing else was working, so why not? add McGuire's skill, and Marvel was sniffing around for him, they let them run with it. It had enough great superhero stuff that it was a hit from the start, plus the team got a preview in Legends, which did well commercially. The comedy slowly grew uh, in proportion, so it seemed like a natural progression. At the same time, it was different enough that it felt like you were getting in on something new and cutting edge. It did eventually wear down. For those of us who were older and had seen the ups and downs of JLA and superheroes in general, it was the right tone and made it feel a bit more mature, even if the characters acted juvenile. It kind of poked fun at some of those juvenile superhero tropes. What was sad was when DC all but outlawed any mention of the series, and yet when the team got back together for formerly known as Justice League, and I can't believe it's not Justice League, they were big hits. So... Did they respond to that success? Nope. They turn Max into a murderer and Beetle got, gets one in the head, as well as stuff I don't want to talk about from Identity Crisis. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry I just don't mention those things. I can't.
0: They they're, they don't exist for us.
1: No. I'll take satire over gratuitous violence anytime. So is this something that you, you've been reading, Justice League? Yeah. Uh, you've read like a year and a half of the series now yeah. since uh, we last covered the, the thing. Did you see that progression from... Actually, yeah, I did. straighter to well it kind of it kind of felt
0: like a a progression like a a natural slope you know going up uh because uh you did come off from a quote-unquote real justice league to these heroes and you kind of have to you know settle in and, and see what's going on but yeah the dynamic i mean this group dynamic is just wonderful in these comic books I mean, you really feel like you understand the team instead of just seeing superheroes with great powers just beat down, you know, great opponents. They, they have, like, actual problems. They don't all like each other. Uh, guy's a, an ass all the time. <laughs> it's kind of weird. We have Batman in there, and even Batman, kind of... Batman always stays the same, and the rest of the team is kind of gelling, and he's starting to be put on the sidelines, and that's kind of funny for me. And, you know, I kind of like seeing that, because yeah. they're
1: coming in on their own. And- well, he's a straight man at first, which is like the function that will put you on the sidelines. Yeah. you know, The, uh, the others are funny and the others are have more extreme personalities oh, in a he'll,
0: way. He'll drop a like a Star Trek, just a little Star Trek thing once in a while. But, you know, he's not going to be the funny guy. I no. mean, that's a Beatles thing. But, uh, I mean, there's a lot of serious... I just love how the the plots are serious, but the characters are living within that plot. And they have their identities and their way of seeing. And it's all true to them. So I'm actually loving seeing characters being characters. Instead of just, you know, seeing characters, but not really getting to know them.
1: As long as there's enough superhero action. Oh, and it's there's plenty. You're satisfied, but getting to, you know, you're investing in characters. Yeah. Uh, and and because it's entertaining you know you, you want to do this so it's it's a great series and i you, i'm going to i'm going to lend you a, f- a few more <laughs> so oh, you can I, keep on going on your journey i love it uh, jeff also says i would debate you on mark wade being the best superhero writer of the modern age which was well it's all of, debatable of course it's well yeah that's why you would debate us and uh, or me <laughs> uh, he says i find that kurt busick writes more interesting and more developed superhero stories. I think he gets to the heart of characters more. I think he has best demonstrated it on Astro City, but he did it ably on Avengers, Avengers Forever, and Thunderbolts. Uh, and to that I would respond that, yeah, Kurt Busick is awesome, but I don't think he worked on enough properties to push Mark Wade off that throne for me. Uh, and he also says, regardless of who is the best, which is subjective, they were definitely the two writers who rescued us from the grim and gritty 90s. I would also throw out James Robinson as one of the most interesting. I To that, I'll say nope, because James Robinson was like the one-trick pony. He did Starman. He did Starman very well. Yeah, I did. That was an iconic series. Yeah. And most of the stuff he did afterwards seemed clunky, awkward. Even the, the stuff I found was good. And he sort of became, uh, at his best, he was a, a modern age Roy Thomas, bringing in old characters, old forgotten characters. But at his worst, what, what was it? Justice League Cry Freedom. I mean, he did some very bad stuff later on. He's not in that group for me. Not anymore, at least. Brendoon said the JLI was a real, a really good era. I like him funny. Like Brendoon is, I think, from uh, New Zealand. Paul Hicks from Australia. So we're, we're getting our. Oceanic comments here. <laughs> well, good eye, guys. Paul Hicks says, Siskoid and Buzz, seriously, couldn't you have waited till Shag was up to this issue on his JLI podcast? Nope. We wait for no man. Shag was late and that's, <laughs> that's what happens. Well, I mean, and would you have wanted to listen to two episodes about the same thing back to back in the same week? Really? Or would you have forced me to invite Shag on our show? That is the dumbest idea. <laughs> Hi, Shag, love you. Okay, Diablo Frank sent a long comment, told us how he shopped for comics at the time, how he got into or not, didn't get into Justice League. He's a backstory guy, I like it. Yeah, he's he's got a, a whole... I mean, he's writing his biography piece by piece on different comment sections of different podcasts. Eventually, someone will collect these. I'll pick out a sentence (laughs) from all this. Uh, He says, I tend to agree with Gerard Jones that JLI was lightning in a bottle, the perfect antidote for the exhausting creative monuments of 1986 at a time when readers were most receptive to challenges of the status quo in mainstream comics. It's true. I think maybe that's what keeps drawing comics nerds to the 80s and late 80s. Is that comics have been done the same way for a, a good while, and now we were doing well. Let's what what happens if we do this? What happens if we do that? And trying different formats, which led to Vertigo Comics, which mm-hmm. led to like the British Invasion, which led to uh, darker, more or more personal things. At that at that time, I think it was like a, a nice time before we got into a sort of grinder of doing everything the same, yeah, p- belts and pouches. Antiheroes and (laughs) belts and pouches. It was like a time when we were looking for the next fad, maybe or the next wave, and unfortunately, the wrong wave picked up. But hey, we can't choose waves. We can't. (laughs) The wave wave chooses us. The wave chooses us. What what is this? Point Break. Okay, (laughs) the old version. Uh, That's the. I haven't seen the new one. Uh, me either, because okay, I refuse to see There's that. only the old one we need to, there's to see. There's only the only. Yeah. The only. There's old only one. the only. There's
0: only the only old one. You can't
1: just call time out and stroll on into the beach if you don't like the way things are going. Yep. Uh, moving on to Scotland. Uh, Martin Grace, this is a very international podcast because the yes. invasion is happening all over the world. And, and this is great. I don't even know anybody from Scotland. Well, Martin Gray. Uh, Martin Gray says, keep those varied audio clips coming. They're a definite highlight. That's the thing with our theme where Okay, I wrote a theme. <laughs> if episode 1 or 2 has a theme Yeah, uh, at the back of the show because I couldn't put it at the front of the show because I think it's terrible. But <laughs> it's not that bad. I am not a musician and yeah. I had trouble... That's why it's art. So instead, we're really doing... Each, each show has a different clip from a different alien invasion movie, TV thing or song. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, with a little wink to what the episode is actually about, hopefully. But I don't know when I'll <laughs> I'll hit a wall. But um, well, you
0: have vast knowledge of uh, you know, movies and TV, sure. and so you're you're pretty much well set up, I
1: think. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. So Let's not jinx it. If uh, if there are movies, invasion movies that we I haven't uh, used a clip for, and you really want us to do, and if you can link it to a comic that's coming up, hey, <laughs> leave it in the comments. It will be appreciated. Jimmy McGlinchey says, One thing I don't know if you mentioned was how some scenes in the JLI issue were repeated in the Wonder Woman issue by Perez and Marinan. And they are quite seamless. I think there was one small hiccup when Ice and Fire's dialogue in JLI was switched in the Wonder Woman issue. But otherwise was very good and showed a good level of communication between the two books. Well, we're going to do that next time. Yeah, we'll talk about that next episode. It's a heads up for us. And it's not quite as seamless as all that, but it's way more seamless than the Manhunter Flash thing. Okay. Which, I mean...
0: I can't wait to see that.
1: Yeah, there's a lot more collaboration you could see. And the um, Giffen and Demetrius get a credit in the Wonder Woman issue as, oh. like, a special thanks, special help. So there was a lot more collaboration there. Uh, then we have Boston Moss, who says, You guys are giving Aquaman a ration of shit for disbanding the League. Keep in mind, the creation of JLA Detroit wasn't story driven. This was an edict from editorial to make the JLA more like Titans or X-Men in hopes of boosting sales. Sales-wise, it flopped. I liked it, but there were some serious flaws. While the goofy JLA was amusing, I'd rather have the Detroit team. Can't say I'm a big Giffen fan. Uh, many things wrong with that, uh, with those assertions, Boston Moss. <laughs> yeah, cause you have two Aquaman fans right here. Uh, first of all, just because it's an editorial mandate doesn't mean it didn't happen in the DC universe. So Aquaman is as responsible for this as he was, uh, for any other story that you might have liked. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's responsible for growing a beard. He's responsible. You take the bad with the good. It's always, obviously there's humans in on Earth Prime deciding this stuff all the time, whether it's an editor or a writer. Aquaman is Aquaman and he's, he's either well written and- or not, but.
0: Arthur is not without sin.
1: And I don't think he, did we give him a ration of shit? I thought, I was happy about it. I mean, this for me was a great Aquaman moment.
0: I think it was a ball growing moment where Aquaman
1: said, you know what? I'm taking this over and it's over. That's it. And ending the league was, I mean, in the charter he had the right to do it. And it was like a big fuck you to the, all the other uh, superheroes who had their own lives. Yeah. Uh, and obviously he, d- he didn't because he didn't have his own series, which is all outside Earth Prime stuff. <laughs> and yet he did it. So I gave him a lot of credit for it, even though his experiment ultimately failed. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't have jail in Detroit. You, it you it just wasn't can't called have that. It wasn't called that. But when people <laughs> have tried was to it do... East Coast or some... Middle, uh, West Coast Avengers. Oh, okay. That was... Well, that was a fail also. No. No? I don't know. I I hope not. I I love the West Coast Avengers. Anyways. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know. But JLA Detroit, I've read stories with them, like flashback stories. Okay. And like Justice League uh, Confidential or whatever it's called. And these have been good stories. And people who love those characters have made people like Vibe and Gypsy actually stand out in later stories. It just, at the time, it didn't work. Taking you to task, Boston Moss. Another Moss, which is unrelated Moss, uh, Aaron Head Moss, wants to shout out that he's briefly covered Invasion in his Starman Manhunter Action Hour podcast in a couple months. So, I I guess maybe it's already recorded, but he's going to talk about Because the Manhunter Connection. Look for that later on in the summer. Other than that, Facebook likes and shares... We have a lot. Wow, thank you very much. Yeah, everybody. Zeb Oswald, Chris Franklin, Sam Lowe, Gene Hendricks, Al Sedano, Abel Padilla, Shag Matthews, Sean Brock, Alan Middleton, Ruth Sutherland. Thank you all. For a Twitter retweets and favorites from Adam Blackmoon, Coffee and Comics Blog, Keith G. Baker, Joe Slab, Comic Book Insurance. You need your comic book insurance. <laughs> Starbird of Endor, Tech News Weekly 5, Michelle Fifa, Sin, JLI Podcast. Listen to that, of course. Uh, Film and Water Podcast, John Struan, Ed Pisker, Trekker Talk, the SNRS, Ben Johnson, Jim Ball, J Slab425, Chris Sheehan, Jeffrey Brown, Warlord Worlds, Carl Disney, Russell J. Taylor, Two True Freaks, Brian Yardley, Willie Yarbrough, Ed Moore of Indie Comics Fan and Marvel Bronze Age, Ed Ingo Montoya, KSGSF Podcast, The Hammer Strikes, Trekker Talk, and Andrew in Belfast.
0: Wait a minute, was there
1: Warlord's World? Warlord Worlds, Trekker Talk, uh, and they've also got a new, um, Asinjo's Tales okay. podcast. That's all Ruth and Darren Sutherland. Check out those podcasts.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're great. It's just it's, just, uh, it's kind of funny cuz you you don't read you never you never caught on to Warlord and it's, you know, it's I a, just I
1: just heard Warlord's world and I what? It's, it's uh it's a sore point. I know. They, I know. they don't like me talking about it. <laughs> That's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. Next time
0: on First Strike: The Invasion Podcast, Wonder Woman number 25. With special appearances by Guy Gardner and Rocket Red. And and and, and, and he has this uh, you know this thing there way the the, the the you know the thing you put the papers on that yep train. Where are these words in English? Why, why is my brain not functioning properly? Why it's, ah, it's early.